Um, and this episode, we will be talking about sleep, everybody's favorite thing to do. I am so excited to hear about this. But first, I have to say, you look really hot today. And what's up with this cool diamond bracelet thing you're wearing? Okay, so for everybody who can't see me, I'm wearing athleisure um, <laughs> clothing right now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, so this bracelet... Um, I was at a rehearsal dinner before and um, one of my best friends is getting married and she had this bracelet on and I said, I like your bracelet. And she said, okay. So she took it off and she said, here you go. Completely serious. And I'm like, "Uh, thank you. But, but really she's like, no, 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 you have to take it. That's the rule. I was like, what rule? And she said that and her family, apparently if you say you like something, the person who has on what you like has to give it to you. Uh, <laughs> that would have worked well with like me and my sisters if we had that rule. Yeah. They wouldn't have had any clothing. Well, that's why you're not supposed to wear something that you would give away. So you're not supposed to wear like your good jewelry. If you, you so basically, and actually multiple people at the table tonight confirm that this happens in their family. You wouldn't wear something you wouldn't want to give somebody. Is this like with a specific cultural background or something that there's this rule? I, I don't know, but <laughs> I, I'm into it. <laughs> Just part of white America. Like she, so is that real diamonds? I have to I ask. Don't think so. Okay, so it's just like it looks like it. But it's you know, it's costume jewelry like for a wedding that you would wear. And, oh, and she was wearing mm-hmm. like this beautiful white dress and everything, and I was eyeing it the whole time and I said something and she's oh here, you have to take it. All right, fine. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I'd be interested to see if any of our listeners have this rule or this, you know, unspoken thing with their, with their family members. And if you have this rule <laughs> and it applies to everyone, then we're doing a live podcast and I'm going to tell you to wear your best, best things. Yeah. And then I'm going to take them all. Mr. T style. Mm. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's um, go to sleep. <laughs> So, you know, everybody needs to sleep and, you know, it's not just something that you're, you know, you've been told your whole life and, you know, your parents tell you and it it actually does have, you know, purpose. So it's vital, it's restorative and the brain is actually very active during sleep, which is, is a little, you know, counterintuitive, but it's, it is active. So how much sleep do we need? So we sleep about a third of our lives. And I, I think I I got this quote from probably a mattress commercial like on, <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> but it's true when you think about it. So Anna, how much sleep do you get a night? Okay, so I go through phases. And sometimes I like definitely want like eight and a half hours. And then other time I have phases and I call them my quote hypomanic episodes where I only sleep like five and a half hours. And I've been doing that this past month. I haven't really been sleeping that much, but I feel fine. Maybe my body's being destroyed. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? And now when you sleep for the five and a half hours versus the eight and a half hours, do you feel any different? Yes, I'd say if I feel like I only need five and a half hours of sleep when I get up I'm like pop I pop out of bed I'm ready to go when I'm in the period of time where like I need more which is more typical I'm more in that like eight and a half hour period I'm more like a little bit sluggish like sleep hangover grumpy in Mm. the morning groggy right yeah interesting it's interesting how you know beforehand 
I don't know if that has to do with just kind of <laughs> rationalizing that you're going to bed late or you're like, no, this is going to be a five and a half hour night. Yeah, there might be some subconscious thing where I'm like, I want to be pumped and ready to go all the time. So I'm going to sleep deprive myself a little bit so that I'm like, you know, don't have that sleep hangover. No, I, I get that. I definitely know the sleep hangover. And I actually recently started waking up at 4 a.m. Uh, to go running. And I notice I'm actually more awake at 4 a.m. than when I sleep until my normal time of like 7, 7.30 so we'll get into why that is. But do you have a, yeah. So just hearing that, my thought is I've read things like that were not evolved to sleep like straight through and that we're supposed to sleep like a shorter period, do some stuff and that we're more designed to maybe have potentially a nap oh, later in the day. I'm or all something for that. Like that. Yeah. I don't know. I read this before. So maybe that's why we feel good and ready to go when we get up at 4.30. No, I, I'm telling you, it, it, it happened just before med school. Um, I used to, my body would just wake me up at four and I would stay up and study. And sometimes I would even go to the Walmart and just get some shopping done. And I would, my day was so, so fruitful. Now I'm thinking about when I was in med school, I, first off, I never did an all-nighter. I was totally against that. I thought it was terrible. But what I would do is I would just go to sleep at like, two and then just like get up at five like yes. right before an exam and I would get like that three hour window of sleep and then because you know you do have a lot of adrenaline when you're studying or preparing for something hard it can push yep. you through a little better but I was there was there's never been a time in my life where I've intentionally done an all-nighter did I tell I feel like I did the exact same thing and and did I like maybe tell you that at some point that that's the <laughs> secret or I guess great minds think alike okay. unintentionally. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, it, you know, it, it was successful. Here we are. Yes. <laughs> it worked out. So, interestingly, um, there's different, requ- or not necessarily requirements, but different suggested amounts of sleep depending on age. And the amount on average decreases as we get older. So, according to the CDC, uh, newborns um, need about 14 to 17 hours a night. Um, and then toddlers get about 11 to 14. School-age children, about 9 to 12. Um, teenagers, 8 to 10. And then when you're an adult, uh, 7 or more per night. And then it kind of drops off a little bit. The, the statistic I read, over 65, was 7 to 8. So maybe just a little bit less. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that kind of points to the, the, you know, the physiological benefits of sleep and in those early stages, you know, what it's doing to shape the brain and how we're kind of molding our thoughts and our memories. So I, I think that that probably is, is related. So how does sleep work? So there's two basic types of sleep. There's rapid eye movement sleep and non-rapid eye movement sleep. And it's just as it sounds. Your eyes move back and forth rapidly during REM, R-E-M, rapid eye movement sleep. So basically the cycle of the two lasts about 90 minutes each and we go through it about five times per night. So as you progress to the morning hours, your REM sleep is getting longer and deeper as the night goes on. And I don't know, maybe most of you know that 
you dream mostly in rapid eye movement sleep, but dreams also can occur during non-rapid eye movement sleep. So, um, and also both types of sleep play a role in memory consolidation. So what happens during each stage? I'll briefly go through them. Stage one is uh, not rapid eye movement sleep. It encompasses about 5% of the cycle, and it's when our heart rate slows, our breathing slows, our muscles can, can kind of twitch, and this is when you may get what's called the hypnic jerk, mm-hmm. where you know all of a sudden you just kind of jolt, your whole body twitches. <laughs> I do that a lot. <laughs> it's fun, right? Uh, terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So um, you're just transitioning from awake to sleep. Stage two is about 50% of the cycle. You're continuing to fall into sleep and your eyes actually stop moving. Now, for if you were hooked up to, if you were in a sleep study and hook up to an EEG that measures your brain waves, there's actually very specific brain waves during this type of sleep and it's kind of like bursts of activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're reading EEGs, we can actually tell if somebody is awake, drowsy, and which stage of sleep they're in, which is pretty interesting. So, um, so that's stage two. And then stage three, non, non-rapid eye movement, it's about 20%. It's our deepest stage. So this one would take the most to wake you up out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, thought to be, it's thought to be the most important. Um, it's... You know, it's necessary for a restorative, restful sleep. Your heart rate is the slowest. Your breathing slows down. Your brain waves are super slow. And, um, you know, it's more in the earlier stages of the night. So this type of sleep, um, N3, stage three, um, consolidates memory of facts, data, and events specifically or so it's thought. And also, uh, growth hormone and prolactin production occurs during this time. So this is super important. So if you complete like one cycle of the first one, the second one, and this third one that we're talking about now, about how much time does that take? So we're approaching, I'd say an hour. An hour. So that's like the whole theory behind like a short nap Mm -hmm. being really good for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't actually do any research into naps but see for napping for me is really hard because I I think I spend a lot of time in stage one like I'm, I'm drifting but I'm not really asleep but time goes by super fast I feel like with naps too like if let's say you set an alarm to wake yourself up I feel like you often are woken up in that third stage and that's why you feel like you got hit by a truck right <laughs> I, I th- and I think that the point of the power nap is to avoid uh, and okay okay but you do need it so get it later on you know Mm -hmm. get it during your night sleep you know by no means should your nap be the most important sleep (laughs) cycle (laughs) sorry that made me laugh a little too much and i am smoking my jewels so i cough i love it so um I, in speaking about the growth hormone and prolactin production, that's super important, um, you know, for growing children, you know, really anybody. And I, I don't know if it has anything to do with, you know, growing pains, like when yeah. your bones would hurt during the night. Yes. I'm not sure if it's related. Yeah. I just remember that whenever I had pain anywhere in like my limbs as a child, my dad <laughs> would tell me it was growing pains, but it was still happening like when I was definitely done growing. So who knows? That's true. 
Is that even a real thing? I don't know. We're going to have to do an episode <laughs> on it. Or is that just something your parents tell you to shut you up? I don't know, but your dad was a doctor. I know. So. And a pediatrician. <laughs> but like, who knows? <laughs> well, that, well, stay tuned, um, fans. We're yeah, gonna or, or, or let us know in the DMs. Yeah. So then we get into REM sleep, uh, rapid eye movement. And um, this is when your heart rate and blood pressure actually resemble that of your wakeful state. Mm. Um, So in terms of your vital signs. But your body is paralyzed. And this is to prevent you from acting out your dreams. However, things don't always go as planned. And later in life, you can develop a disease that stops your body from being paralyzed and you act out your dreams. That's yes. the next episode. Yes, Stay there are a lot it. of variants of this. I'm sure there are going to be people listening who are like, <gasps> they're like, oh my God, you know, you're thinking about some variant you have of that, but we will discuss that in the next episode. Right. I have some stories too. Oh God, it's going to be so good. <laughs> I thought that before we talk about kind of the diseases of sleep and the abnormal, mm-hmm. it would be really good for us all to have a good knowledge yeah. of what normal is. Yes, this is our knowledge episode, and then the next episode is, like, when everything gets fucked up. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so basically, every muscle is paralyzed except the diaphragm, and so that you can breathe. That's kind of the <laughs> muscle under the lungs, and the muscles that control your eye movements. So, um, and also a muscle that controls something in the inner ear and that's for survival so that you can hear to wake up if there's if there's danger or something or you can hear your alarm clock to wake you up to life of course of course <laughs> so um the brain waves if you're hooked up to an eeg or if you're in a sleep study actually resemble wakefulness so that it, it's really interesting and um this is the part of sleep when most dreaming occurs And this is important for the consolidation of memory that revolves around procedures and spatial memory. So a little bit different than um, the N3 sleep. So um, basically, we actually spend less time in this stage as we as we get older. Sad. Yeah. No, I I love dreaming. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Like that sounds so weird, but I'm like. The next day, I always think about my dreams. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Or Psychoanalyze them. <laughs> They're really stupid. <laughs> so let's get into circadian rhythm. Anna, have you ever wondered why you automatically wake up at a certain time without an alarm clock, and this happens most days, or why you get sleepy at a certain time every night? Well, I figure I just wake up at a certain time every day because of my anxiety, (laughs) but uh, I do know there's such a thing as circadian rhythms, so please educate me more. (laughs) So, there is a group of cells in our brain that is actually responsible for kind of, it's like our internal alarm clock or internal clock. Um, It's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And it basically gets information from the amount of sunlight that our eyes are exposed to. And that allows our brain to dictate our behavior. So again, we're going, kind, we're going back to evolution. 
obviously, as humans, we're more productive when the sun's out. We can see things. So, you know, this circadian rhythm kind of helps us to be awake when we need to be and sleep when we need to be. Um, So, you know, some other things besides, you know, waking up or being tired, this allows the body to release hormones at certain times when it's most appropriate for the body to use those hormones, um, as well as temperature control, metabolism. And what's interesting is that blind people may still maintain the ability to sense light. Um, However, if you have damage to this group of neurons, you'll have problems um, regulating your Mm sleep-wake cycle. So this is why, um, and would you like to talk about sundowning? what that is in hospitalized patients? Yeah, so essentially a lot of times we see in patients who are in like critical care units, geriatric patients, sort of delirious, um, you know, obviously they're, first off, their whole, everything's off. Oftentimes they don't have, like there's not windows in their room, so they might not be exposed to like normal light. And then on top of this, in hospitals, there's alarms going off all the time, like at, you know, during the day and night. So patients often are really not getting appropriate sleep. So often with geriatric patients, they are like, can be sort of, or I mean, not limited geriatric patients, but often we see in the population in the ICU or whatever, they are okay during the day. The teams will round on them. They'll seem like their behavior is appropriate. Mm -hmm. And then you team will come back in the morning and they'll hear that they've been acting out. They like attack their nurse overnight. So and we, the terminology for this is sundowning, right? They were confused. They didn't know where they were or where, you know, they, something that was not present during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, we try to reduce that. I always try to put, you know, my older patients next to a window and yes. I'll walk into a room at 10 a.m. I'm throwing the blinds up. I'm turning mm-hmm. all the lights on. I'm being annoying. I'm putting the TV on because you can decrease this by, you know, trying to expose them to light. Yeah. So they're, they're, you know, their brain gets used to that. I, I've always thought like at my hospital, I'm like, why is the critical care unit in like the nicest wing when a lot of the patients have no idea what's going on? They're not alert and they have like these beautiful windows to see outside or whatever. But I'm sure, I mean, I could imagine that a component of this was, okay, these are the sickest patients and for the ones that, you know, could be affected by like sundowning or things like that. Let's get them exposure to the outside world and light and all that. Exactly. And sun on the face is probably the best medicine. Mm-hmm. I mean, we always try to turn our patients' beds. It, it just get get that vitamin D and yes. and it's it's natural and it's normal and it, you know, it's 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 great. No, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So, this is fun. This next topic, um the Chinese body clock. So, ooh, yeah, I heard of this. No, I I've seen it once or twice, I think, in, in some lecture that we must have had about uh, circadian rhythm. Um, but basically, the um, there is a thought that different things, different processes, different abilities are best at certain times of the day. And this is conserved. This is the same for, for multiple people. So essentially, and I, this is... 
I'm just reading off of you can you know these clocks are available if you're if you're more interested <laughs> online. So between five and seven is the best time to have a bowel movement. Oh, or to meditate. Good to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> between seven and nine a.m., sex is the best, mm. and digestion as well. Between nine and eleven, you have the best concentration. You can get the best work done. I think that's true. I really, so far, you know, I think these things are great. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is, you know, most people are sleeping until the last second, well, at least if you're me, sleeping until the last second and then rushing to work and totally not doing what's right for your body and just like. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, and I, I feel like when I'm driving to work and it's, if it's nine, I feel like I'm like, I should text this person. I, I should do this. Like, I feel like my, I can, yeah. I don't, it might be the coffee. Yeah. Well, that too. <laughs> you know, it's just kicked in. Yeah. The world is glowing once again. <laughs> There's hope. <laughs> they suggest between 11 p.m., uh, 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. is when you should eat your main meal of the day. Oh, God. Because between 1 and 3, you absorb food the best. Um, between 3 and 5, for me, is just, a wash, like I'm exhausted. Yeah, <laughs> but they say that's it's when you get your dip. <laughs> exactly. I'm heading to Starbucks at that time. <laughs> that's where you can find me. They say between five and seven is the best time to exercise, um, and then from seven on is just a little bit of calm socializing, light reading. They say between nine and eleven is the best time for flirting or sex. There's a lot of sex in this in this chart. So apparently, there's <laughs> two times allotted for. Fantastic sex. Exactly. Now, um, what this is based off of is it looks like each organ kind of has its golden hour, so to speak. I think I've heard of this before. Yeah. So, I don't know when I should start my day. Let's say 6 a.m. That's when the large intestine is, is you know, at its, at its, all its in all its glory. Um, you should release your bowels 6 a.m. to 7. At 8 a.m., it's the stomach's turn. Breakfast, you know, good concentration. You're absorbing all of those, you know, nutrients. From 9 to 11, it's the spleen. <laughs> Converting all your food to oil. Clear as thinking. From 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., that's your heart. <laughs> Getting your circulation, you have the most energy, lunchtime. And then at from 1 to 3, it's the small intestine. So you're kind of sorting out your food, absorbing your food. Uh, you have the lowest energy, um, probably because the small intestine is a huge organ and is taking up a lot of that energy. Even though it's called small intestine. Yeah. No. Makes no sense. Don't sleep on the small intestine. <laughs> it's nap time, so... One and three. The bladder is from three to five. <laughs> the kidney is from five to seven. The pericardium, which is the area around the heart, is from seven to nine. And I don't know what this is. Triple burner. Oh, you're burning them. Your, your metabolism is the highest between nine and 11. Is that why I binge eat then? Yes. And that's okay to binge eat. Okay. Because your metabolism. Good. So yeah. It checks. It's science. <laughs> and then from <laughs> 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. it's the gallbladder <laughs> this is when is this when people get their gallbladder attacks <laughs> we asked the surgeon i feel like they'd have something to say then as the night goes on it's liver and lung and there's also elements so we start the day with metal mm. late morning is earth 
early afternoon is fire, then water, then fire again, then wood. Does this correlate with, um, you know, your sign? Like if you're a water sign, a fire sign, earth sign, is this your peak? <laughs> uh, possibly. We would have to do a study on that. You, you, we have to. Like. <laughs> and I actually, I have another clock here in my notes, and it says basically the same thing. And this actually goes by body temperature. Your blood pressure is the highest at 6... Wait, hold on. 6 a.m. is um, when your blood pressure rises. Your uh, Oh, is that to do with like cortisol or something? Or am I just making I th- that up? You know, I think this whole thing has to do with okay. cortisol. Okay, because that's okay. how I learned it. Yeah. This whole thing has to do with cortisol because we check it in the morning. Yes. Before, it has to be drawn before 8 a.m. So, but not just cortisol, melatonin. Uh. So we'll get into that in a second. But you're secreting melatonin essentially from 9 p.m. till about 7.30 a.m. Um, so, you know, it, it's a lot of different hormones taking the lead and taking the backseat. But, you know, basically, you know, bowel movements and melatonin <laughs> blood pressures is, is kind of, you know, important. So... What happens when we don't get enough sleep? I probably none of us get enough sleep or let's too much be sleep. real. Yeah, let's be honest. So health-wise, let's start with the health. According to the CDC, those getting less than seven hours per night, adults essentially, were were more likely to report having stroke, heart attack, depression, diabetes. And people who got less than seven hours a night were more likely to be obese, smokers, and physically inactive. Welp, that's me. (laughs) You should probably increase your amount of eight and a half hour nights. (laughs) Now, here's where I have to step in and say that stroke, heart attack, maybe diabetes, are also related to obstructive sleep apnea. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. And sleep apnea essentially is when you don't get, so you stop breathing during the night and, um, it could either be due to something in the brain or just having too much soft tissue in the, you know, mouth and throat area and not getting enough oxygen to the brain is hugely detrimental, um, you know, even though it, you may not notice it, mm-hmm. you know, over time it increases your risk for a stroke yes. and cardiovascular morbidity. So, mm-hmm. um, I know I'm kind of thinking that this is all related because not enough sleep. So let's say you have sleep apnea. You're not getting that quality sleep because you're constantly, even though you don't realize it, being woken up yes. to get air. Now, if you're going to sleep and only getting six hours a night, you're already decreasing the amount of sleep you're getting in terms of quality. You're not getting the amount in terms of quantity. You're not getting. Yeah. So it's kind of like a a double, you know, a double threat. So, um, do you have sleep apnea? So every, I snore, everybody Mm -hmm. snores. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do I have sleep apnea? Is that the question? Are we talking to like everyone? So the only way to tell if you have sleep apnea is a sleep study. Yes. Um, and I alluded to, alluded to this earlier. Basically, you we look at your brain waves while you sleep and your level of oxygenation and your muscle tone. So the sleep study can give us a lot of information. So the reason that it's important to check for it is because we can treat it. Yes. You 
I know it, you know, it sounds like not the ideal thing, but you wear a little mask at night that is giving you air at a pressure that kind of just keeps you, you oxygenated. Yeah. Um, and the mask has gotten a little smaller over time. The machine has gotten a little less noisy. So it, you know, it, it, people have said they feel a million times better. Yeah. It's hard. I think in the beginning with doctors getting patients to be compliant with this, mm-hmm. I, cause I know that oftentimes they complain like the mask is uncomfortable and I don't really like it, blah, 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 blah. But like if people can push through it in it, you know, try to find the right fit. I mean, I can only imagine if I was, you know, assuming I'm like 99.99% sure I don't have sleep apnea. I've never gone to sleep study, but like, you know, I can only imagine how difficult it would be to be waking up like these often the people with sleep apnea are waking up multiple times, multiple, multiple times, like per hour, yeah, like five times an hour or something ridiculous. And they don't even notice mo- most of the time. Cause it's a micro, it's like a micro awakening. Yes. You're not aware that you're awake. So oftentimes we have to turn to the spouse yes. or partner and say, you know, does your husband or wife snore? Um, mm-hmm. do you, do they wake up kind of gasping for air in the night? So sometimes, you know, somebody won't, you know, offer this information. You kind of have to dig for it. Mm -hmm. So some symptoms aside from, you know, the obvious stopping breathing and snoring, Mm -hmm. are you tired? Do you not feel rest? (laughs) Do you not feel well rested when you wake up? Um, Do you have a headache in the morning? Um. And do you kind of have these episodes of, of micro sleeps where you kind of fall asleep, like not off? Yes, that's a big thing for them, yeah. nodding off during the day. And this is something that you may not even notice. And yeah. that, that's kind of why it's it's kind of the silent killer along with, you know, this is comorbid with hypertension and diabetes. And, you know, it's, it's just really, it's something that I think, I would say... 60% of our patients that we discharge from the hospital with a stroke, we recommend a sleep study. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's huge. It's, it's preventable. So that's why. Yeah. Or it's treatable. So drowsy driving. Oops. Oops. <laughs> Been there. Anna. And and maybe Jonah. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's hear, um, let's hear it. Okay, so when I, I mean, my first story that comes to mind is when I was an intern and I was doing, you know, several month, medicine months in a row. And this is where psych, I think, is it gets the reputation as like the easiest residency, but actually we do more back-to-back inpatient months our first two years and um, ACGME requirement is that we complete six months of medicine and for the vast majority of residencies, those are mostly going to be like medicine so there was like a time intern year where I think I maybe had like three inpatient medicine months back to back. And obviously you're working such long hours. There's no way you're hitting like eight and a half hours of sleep or whatever you're supposed to be getting. And not, certainly not in a row. Yeah. And I think so. I, I probably was consistently sleeping like under six, but for like months straight. And I remember one time I was driving to the hospital and there was a red light and I like fell asleep at the red light. And then I tapped the person in front of me who was mm. also a resident. Mm. So they forgave me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's actually a long story about that. 
Oh my God. I can't even get into it now, but it was a plastic surgery resident. And then later they like screamed at me about something in the hospital. And then they remembered that I hit them. And then I couldn't get like mad at them for screaming at me because I hit them and they didn't make a big deal out of it. Yes. So, so wild. But that person, their karma came to them. No worries. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I remember that actually. (laughs) So... The thing about drowsy driving is you don't really know that you're drowsy. All right, Jonah. Okay, so first of all, it might be grounds for something else to cover somewhere else, but um, I get chronic migraines. And one time uh, when I was in an internship in college, I was sleeping two hours a night for a few weeks just because I was being really stupid in addition to all that other stuff. And I had what's a really rare kind of migraine called a confusional migraine where they thought where it presents like a stroke. Yeah. And, and that's a crazy, crazy story. Yeah. We'll do migraine. We'll yeah. definitely do migraine. Um, but I was going to say, yes, uh, as a, in a similar situation where I'd gone about 35 hours without sleeping, I fell asleep at the wheel and totaled a brand new car. Oh my goodness. <laughs> was there any hint? Like, were you just thinking everything's fine? I feel great. And the next thing you know, oh my God. Um, I mean, I kept having those moments while I was driving where your eyes close and then you like kind of shock yourself yes. with your eyes opening and you and I didn't know how long they were closed. Like it could have been a second, it could have been five minutes. Yeah. And then like I just could not physically keep my eyes open anymore. And next thing I knew, there was like branches of trees hitting the car and not like oh bumping off the road. Yeah. Oh my God. So yeah, that was really dumb. <laughs> and ever since then, I've made a lot more of an effort to be slightly reasonable. I don't, you know what? I don't really think it's dumb. I really don't think you know. I don't think you have any idea how tired you are. And and also, you just want to get home, right? You're either at the end of a shift or you're driving for a reason. You, you're not just like taking a leisurely drive to look at the foliage. Like you need to get home so you can sleep. Yeah. Uh, I knew I was tired. Yeah. Um, I was at the point where that had never really come to, to bite me in the ass. Yeah. And then it did. I'm glad you're more aware now. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah, I won't be doing that again. Yeah. And that story reminded me that I have had several friends that I went to med school with who went on to residency and were in some, this is, it happened to every single one intern year because the reality is intern year people hit the highest number of hours and it's really unsafe. Yeah, it's the culture. Yeah. And I have had several friends that totaled cars. Several. Yeah. I, I think the one thing that makes me feel like this will become less of an issue in the future. No, it's not that residencies will cut back on their hours. <laughs> it's that car technology is to the point where it's very difficult if you have a newer car nowadays to have these incidents happen. So it's our technology that is going to save us. That's sad. Not residency programs. That's so sad that we have to build a car that breaks for us because we may yeah. be too tired to break. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, have you... This is terrible. Have you ever been driving home from, like, this is after my 24-hour shifts were the worst for me, where you're driving and you tell yourself, I'll just close my eyes for a minute. Just just one minute. <laughs> like, just a little bit. I'll just close my eyes. Just, just a second. Just because it'll feel good. Like, that is a crazy, once you start thinking like that, no. Yeah. It's too late. You I need think- to 
Yeah, I think when I was an intern, I would put myself in a lot of dangerous driving situations with too little sleep. But I think as a as a PGY two or three, I just planned more and like wouldn't put myself in those situations because I had so many times where I could have died or something you know realistically you know and it wasn't always because of like just work alone it would be like well I have one day off and I want to go visit someone and I want to do something so now you and then you don't even catch up on sleep you just are like oh my god like I need to have a life and then you decide to like stay hanging out with this person late then you're driving for a couple hours and you have to be back at work at like five six a.m so like there is part of this that is like, you know, sort of your own fault and like preventable, but it's like, you know, you're in a tough situation. You want right. to do something fun for once and you're not making the best decisions. And like the reality is you're sleep deprived all the time. So you, you right. can't even like, you don't even have the reason or the wherewithal to like make better decisions for yourself. There, there is definitely a, a sense of no residency. You're not going to dictate my yes. life. I'm still going to yes. go hang out with this person, even though it's a six hour drive. Like yeah. I'm still going to do it. Yeah. yeah. That's what, like, especially my first six months of intern year, oh, I was God. hardcore, like, like doing, <laughs> No, there was like, I wouldn't like, I would have like, you know, 12 days on two days off and my two days off, I would be like, let me go take yeah. a road trip and Let's visit this friend. Like that- what, what was I even thinking? It's the same way. Ugh ridiculous yeah so um in terms of drowsy driving a survey in 2013 found that uh, one in 25 adults over 18 reported falling asleep at the wheel in the past 30 days Hmm. and according to the academy american academy of sleep medicine aside from yawning and drifting into other lanes there are also some signs of drowsy driving um, not remembering the last few minutes of driving, which I think is highway hypnosis. Yeah. Missing exits. I, yeah. oh my God, I used to miss my exit all the time on my way home mm-hmm. from my 24 hour shift. Yeah. So now the Academy has made some recommendations and I, I feel like some people may think they know, but it's actually not. So the Academy only recommends pulling over to a safe place to nap. And actually does not recommend blasting the radio, rolling down the windows. <laughs> These are all things I've done many times, as I'm sure you guys have. I So I would give my, oh, I don't even know if it's okay to say Indian bird. <laughs> I would twist the skin on my wrist <gasps> as hard as I could. Oh my God. I've done that so many times too. I would do the, I would do the, um, you know, blast your music make your car cool because you don't want to get too comfy and then pinching i would pinch my wrists like this yeah me too the wrist i just it was my hands were on the wheel it's just acceptable all the way around as much as i could just oh i would do it like this i would pick a small pocket of like skin and just pinch like crazy (laughs) this is terrible i can't i can't believe we're talking about the ways we used to hurt ourselves to stay awake i cannot believe this it's crazy. <laughs> now I choose to be sleep deprived. Guys. What are we doing? <laughs> Part of it too is like, was my frontal lobe even fully developed <laughs> when I was making these decisions? Like, no. This is terrible. Uh, okay. So 
So interestingly, caffeine, if followed by a brief nap, is actually supposed to help. It's like a, Ooh. I don't know, I think it's called like a coffee nap or a caffeine nap. You're supposed to actually drink coffee, then nap, then wake up. I've actually, I've definitely done that in like on 24 hour shifts and stuff. Yeah. Either inadvertently or mm-hmm. because there's science behind it, it actually is supposed to help. Um, obviously avoiding driving at night, which I have terrible vision, so I always try to avoid driving at night, um, and getting six to eight hours of sleep before a long drive. Now, for my my residents and fellows out there, please make sure your program has a place where you can sleep. For I mean, even if you think you got enough sleep during the night, just even that quick hour or two mm-hmm. um, just before you hit the road in the morning once you're done with your notes. I mean, that's... The reality huge. is that I think a lot of us do have these opportunities, but there's like this part of you that's like, oh my God, I just want to get to the hospital. It's, a lot of programs even have like vouchers for like rides home, yes. but everyone's like, like I know my program did that, but like none of us ever did it. We'd be like, no, I'm going to get myself home. But you know, it's all, it all, that. it all is part of the cycle. Like you're sleep deprived. You're not thinking right. You right. just want to go home. You just want to get home. And so you make these bad decisions that, you know, can have bad consequences absolutely it's just terrible like ugh, i can't believe like we had that conversation (laughs) about hurting ourselves (laughs) so um and this last topic is is kind of you know it's it's kind of ties everything together so there's a thing called shift work disorders and i think that this applies to um cops or you know security guards anything that requires you to be there overnight but also during the day Mm -hmm. so you're if you're working while the body is supposed to be sleeping according to your circadian rhythm there you know that can lead to problems so essentially you know the body secretes melatonin which is the sleep hormone and if you're working while that's being secreted according to when you were exposed to sunlight, you're, you know, you're going to get drowsy naturally, even if you think you're a night owl. Yeah. So some people can adjust to their shift and it takes about eight weeks. And let's say their shift is 11 a.m. or 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. People can just adjust for, for whatever reason. Those who can't adjust, it's considered the, you know, shift work disorder. So... According to the Academy of American Academy of Sleep Medicine, people with this disorder get less than four hours of sleep. I get. I want to say per day because it's not mm-hmm. really it. Yeah. Um, and this is problem. This is a problem because melatonin production depends on daylight. So you can't change daylight. The daylight is between whatever. Well, now yeah. today is the shortest day of the year. <laughs> so what was it like? Nine a.m. to three three p.m. That was our daylight today. Fun times. <laughs> And, you know, that that does affect us. That causes depression yeah. and, yeah. you know. So um, you can take melatonin a few hours before you plan to sleep to try to reset that. And um, I, I can't remember exactly how you're supposed to do it, but you can rotate your shifts so that you kind of ease into the night shift safely and then, you know, you're not always doing night shifts. So... Um, 
you know, if anybody has any feedback on what works for them or what the best way to rotate shifts are, like, I think you know, that would be interesting yeah. to hear and about. Like some of the stuff that I've seen and read suggests that even if you think you're adjusted to working nights and you only work nights, there are still like detrimental effects on your body. Have you read that? So, yes. And I, mm-hmm. I that all goes, everything you just said you know, kind of points to the fact that the the sun is always going to rise at the same time mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. So you're fighting biology more or less yeah. by staying awake when your brain has been exposed to sunlight and it thinks it's the night when it's the day or vice versa. Yeah. And I, I always thought that, you know, you should rotate. Like, there's some nurses that are like, I'm you know, night shift, night shift my whole life. Mm-hmm. I've always done night shift. And then there's some people that are like, oh no, I worked nights for a year, you know, back in 2015. I'm never doing it again. Yeah. I paid my dues. Yeah. But I think that maybe, you know, society and the workplace needs to make more of an effort to make this a rotating thing so that not one person isn't taking the burden. Yeah. Because there are effects. But like, so for example, emergency medicine physicians, the vast majority of them are going to have the rotating. Yes. So like, I remember when I was an intern and I was doing my month on EM, there was an emergency medicine physician. He was like, I guess in his fifties and he was always like there when I was on nights and he was like, yeah, I only work nights because it was too hard for me to flip back and forth. So I just only do nights now. So, and like, I mean, I don't know exactly what the science says about this or if it's really clear on this, but I sort of understood him. I felt like for me, if I had to pick between flipping back and forth or staying with, Mm -hmm. with one that I would just, and I guess, you know, it's pretty hard in EM to be like, Hey, I only want to do days. So like, I sort of understood where it was coming from. Maybe he got more money too. I hope that right. (laughs) And I hope because that sort of sucks. It does suck. But I think that there's fewer night shifts because Mm. there's fewer patients in the ER at night. So if you're an emergency medicine physician, you're doing mostly day shifts and then yeah, night shifts. But I guess, you know, if somebody has no complaints and they're healthy and, and, you know, I'm all for it. But, um, yeah, no, I just... And that makes me wonder, too, I have heard many times that emergency medicine physicians have some of the highest rates of burnout as attendings, and I always wondered, and I mean, sort of assumed, like, that that could very well be due to, like, their shift work, because most physicians, like, you complete your residency, you complete your fellowship, and then, like, you know, a lot of people will take call, but it's, like, not all the time. No. And... It's, uh, you know, some people obviously choose more difficult fields or something like that where they're going to be a very specialized type of surgeon and they're going to have to be like Q2 call their entire life, you know? But But they don't necessarily have to go in. I think emergency, for for our listeners who aren't in the medical field, emergency medicine is really the only field that requires you to be in the hospital overnight. Yeah. Am, Am I right? Yeah. I mean, so... Other fields, obviously, you can sort of choose what you do and you can end up doing more like outpatient. You can end up taking less call. You can sort of whatever you want, you can fight for. Obviously, oftentimes you take pay cuts if you want to have a more good lifestyle. But for emergency medicine, clearly the emergency 
department can never not be staffed by attending physicians. So, you know, it's really interesting when I think about how I feel, um, because I've done moonlighting overnight, you know, Mm -hmm. voluntarily. I'm pretty good between 8 and 12, like 8 p.m. and and, and midnight. For sure. I'm actually like awake like yes. I'm, I'm, I'm yes. good like I'm good to go and then I hit a big wall yeah. a wall where I'm just like I, ca- I can't I need to either close my eyes or lay down I, I just have to mm-hmm. so you know a night an overnight shift encompasses the 8 to 12 where I'm I'm very yeah I'm a very efficient worker and I, you know I'm awake so kind of like a yeah. give and take when i've done 24-hour shifts i've always and this is busy ones of course there's depending on like what hospital and where you are in the volume 24-hour shift like obviously almost everyone in residency maybe i don't know if you're a dermatologist you don't do 24-hour shifts but the vast majority of us are going to do them but it's what one person's 24-hour shift is is not the other person's it's very yeah. hospital dependent like everyone will complain about them but there's some people that are truly just sleeping that whole night portion of it but yeah, so when I've been in the hospital where it's a really like the high volume hospital and you really don't sleep in your 24 hour shift at all, I've always noticed that around 2 a.m. is when I start to feel like sort of delirious. Same. <laughs> and, and I schedule, I, and again, this is mostly, you know, for our residents and fellows listening or med students, I would, I've never pulls an all-nighter. I pulled an all-nighter once in my life, and that was when I did the 50-mile run mm-hmm. for Lieutenant Michael Murphy. Hey. I'm, I'm wearing the shirt <laughs> yes. right now. That was the only time I pulled an all-nighter. Yeah. Because I used to schedule my night around sleeping. Okay, I have four consults. I'll see three of them now because they're urgent. Really quickly, get them done. You know, call the attending, get, you know, get everybody squared away and then sleep and then see the you know my last consult at four or five a.m before morning report yeah i used to schedule my night around sleeping because i knew how my body operates so i think there's a lot to say about knowing yourself and i think it is difficult too because like I have always been unlucky when I've had like 24 hour shifts at our higher volume hospital and I always get hit with your black cloud. Yeah. I always get hit with like 12 consoles Mm. in the overnight portion. And there were some times where there was literally not a second I could take a nap. These are all emergency department consults where they're like, we need a psychiatrist right now, you know? (laughs) But do you ever feel like damn, I should have napped at like 9 p.m. Like, do you Yeah, because usually like there is, even in those times, there's a lull, but the low is, lull is like really early on before yeah. I could actually take a nap. Um, but, you know, I think sometimes what people do is during the actual day portion of that 24-hour shift or trying to nap earlier on. I used to do that. And then like what I learned too, like what, so part of the issue was I would always think, okay, maybe this is going to be my last console and then I can go to sleep. So I would like be like, oh, I shouldn't drink coffee. Now I'm just like, screw it. If I'm really tired, I can funnel the coffee down my throat and sleep anyways. But no, I'm not the only coffee person who do this because I definitely talked to my co-residents and they were like, oh yeah, I avoided coffee too because I thought I might be able to sleep. But then like your delirium is so much worse. Yeah. The reality the is- coffee's not doing anything, yeah, like yeah. be honest. And it's a little <laughs> bit different when you're way later in residency and you do these 24s because 
um, so much of it becomes like muscle memory, like how you're going to handle things. And you sort of just like, obviously you're not at your peak performance. There's no way that any human is capable of being at their peak performance and doing their best job no. when they're on a 24 hour shift. Mm-mm. It's just not possible. Don't you argue think with you me. Are, yeah. But you're, you're not, you're not like at the quality of everything gets, gets subpar <laughs> or yeah. like acceptable but it it is easier even though the sleep deprivation never changes just like sort of doing what you need to do to do an okay job for you and your patients yeah yeah that's so true Uh, we just went off on a huge training tangent which i think there's probably people right now like pumping their fists like yeah (laughs) yeah like it i mean the the data is there it's yeah it's so sad let's not ignore it (laughs) yeah so when when i think about sleep deprivation one thing comes to mind and i I, it's from a college course i took um chernobyl oh oh yes yeah i and this is when i i texted you i went down oh god i went down such a such a rabbit hole um and i have to give props to two podcasts um one is uh, Strange Matters yeah. and one is uh, Eastern Border. Mm-hmm. And they covered Chernobyl, I think, in a total of like four episodes. And I was just captivated. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted, I, I know about it, but I wanted to get a good background. Yeah. And essentially, you know, everybody knows about Chernobyl, but just to summarize it, back in 1986, in um, what is now known as the Ukraine, there was a an incident. Um, it was a explosion, not a nuclear explosion. It was a thermal explosion that led to the leak, the leakage of tons, tons of radiation. Um, the magnitude of which is, is still, you know, I think astronomical and like, there's nothing like it's so beyond. No. (laughs) And it could have been worse. Yeah. And that's to me is the craziest part is that it, it could have been way worse. Um, so essentially what happened the night, I think it was like a, it was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday was the sequence of events. They were in the process of building a fifth reactor. And in this process, they had to see if they were able to sustain while shutting down the fourth reactor. So they, Mm -hmm. they had this protocol, they did this test and it uh, unfortunately fell overnight Mm -hmm. and you know, there's so much politics behind it that, it, you know, if you're interested in learning more, please go listen to Eastern Borders. He, they, yeah. he does such a good job. And obviously also watch the HBO show, which I think was the oh, best God. show of 2019. I've actually been making Jonah watch it this week because I, I think it's like the best Are thing. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah very serious because I'm obsessed. Did you look at this outline? No, I didn't look at the outline. <laughs> I'm just obsessed with the show. What perfect timing. Right? Cause, because I'll tell you, the names in the show are, it's all accurate. I, yeah. I mean, listening to these podcasts, all the names are the same. So essentially, the you know thought is that the, the bottom line is the protocol for how the reactor was supposed to be shut down at which percentage of energy levels was not followed. And then, you know, that kind of negligence kind of snowballed into a lot of things were just kind of not followed and because of it there was an explosion uh, I think 
31 people confirmed um, died, but there's uh, thousands of people left with the effects of radiation. Yes. Um, cancer, amputations, sterility, blindness. It's it's a horrible, horrible situation. Yeah. Where a am nightmare. I going with this? Where, <laughs> where am I going? So I, you know, what... When I learned about Chernobyl and also Exxon Valdez and a couple of other incidents was that because these happened overnight and because the workers were presumably, you know, experiencing a shift work disorder, they weren't thinking in their best minds. Yeah. And, um, you know, could this have been prevented if the testing occurred during the daytime? So, I mean, that's just the first thing that comes to mind when, when I think about it. And it's impossible to tell, but when we're trying to prevent something like this from happening again, I think it's important to look at why it happened. So not only were there long hours, but there were tight deadlines. Um, you know, they had to submit this report. And, um, you know, essentially, since it was a shift, whoever was done, you know, had to leave before 8 a.m. And the 8 a.m. people came in. So they're coming in with fresh eyes, but the people that were working all night, who who knows? You know, it was it yeah. was terrible. So um, you know, that that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. But um it just kind of sticks out in my mind. Yeah, I think it's just something to keep in mind that like no matter how much your society or culture likes to make it seem okay and that like people can function at a high level at night or with shift work and things like that. The reality is the science disagrees with them. And unless you want to ignore science, um, then you need to acknowledge that you know things are not going to be perfect. It, it's science, yes, but it's your body. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's science about the body. Like, there is a there are parts of your brain that are devoted yeah. to keeping you awake at certain times and putting you to sleep at certain times. And you're fighting that. You're fighting years of evolution. Yeah. It's it's necessary, but, and it happens. I agree. But it's just important to know for everybody what happens yeah. when, you, when you go against the Yeah, group. and I just think that, too, you need to figure out if you're a person who can who can handle this. Because some people, okay, not every, obviously, like I've said before, it affects everyone, but some people it impacts more than others. Like I remember when I was on night float for a significant period of time as a PGY two, I was actually at a hospital where I was able to sleep a good portion of the night. But, um, I just remember getting so emotional and like crying over things like a lot and being really upset. Mm-hmm. And my co-resident Alyssa was like, Oh, it's just, it's just, you've just been working nights so long. This is just nights. Like when you go back to days, it's not going to be. And I was like, no, this is yeah. not nights. Well, what I'm is, fine. What blah, is blah, an, blah, blah, blah. What does an infant do when they, they're tired? Cries. <laughs> it's so there you go. It's your body's way of telling yeah. you. Yeah. God. Well, if you're wondering what happens when everything we just discussed about normal sleep goes haywire... Oh, man. <laughs> We're going to have a good next episode for it's you guys. It's going to be so good. Yeah. And maybe, well, I'll have to think about it. I guess we'll have to think about it. But maybe we'll even release them on the same day. Yeah. I, of our, I think it'll work yeah, out that way. Yeah. So even though we're recording these on two separate days, we will bless you with both of them <laughs> on a single Wednesday in 2020. Yes.
Well, thank you for this console. Thank you for this console. On sleep. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>